0: you're listening to the tri-state community church podcast a ministry of the associate Reformed presbyterian church located in the greater pittsburgh metropolitan area for more information including service times please visit us at facebook.com forward slash tri-state Reformed church well i invite you to return to genesis 45 genesis 45 we're going to look at the entire chapter this morning So we continue in these narratives. We're going to be finding our way to the end of Genesis here before long, and it's going to be time to consider what's next. Exodus. <laughs> I've actually been toying with that. But I've been thinking we've been in the Old Testament a long time. It might be might be good to go to the New Testament for a little while. But I've been toying with that, I've been praying. Exodus, it would be nice to go into the Exodus material. Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it is not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler of all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children, your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. And when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come to me, and I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land and you Joseph are commanded to say do this take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours the sons did so and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and he gave them provisions for the journey to each and all them he gave change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent his follows: ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Heavenly Father, Lord, our eyes are upon you as we seek to understand your word this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would be pleased to teach us, to guide us, to lead us into all righteousness, Father. Teach us that which, Father, you have for us from this particular passage, the text of Scripture. Father, we pray that you would not only teach us, but apply this to our lives and to our hearts. We humbly come before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. In our text this morning, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of themes that we could, that we could pick up, but there's two great themes in particular, and uh, they are God's providence and uh, God's reconciliation. And when put that way, when we hear words like providence and reconciliation, some are tempted to say, well, those sound like uh, cold and lifeless theological terms. But um, when you begin to study these terms and you begin to see how these uh, realities, if you will, are fleshed out in Scripture, uh, you see suddenly theology coming alive. Um, Theology, when it's done properly, uh, is actually quite living. And I would even submit to you that as we take in the idea of God's providence, the idea of God's reconciliation. There's a tremendous potential for healing in our hearts and for strengthening, uh, for courage, um, and etc. cetera. Um, now, to begin this morning, to really get the full force of verse 1, we really do got to go back into the context, which is good for us anyway. If we go back all the way to chapter 43 and verse 1, there we see the famine is very severe in the land. This doesn't surprise us. We've been studying this now for a few weeks, Joseph said there was going to be a famine. Uh, We believe Joseph because who gave Joseph the word that there was going to be a famine? It was God. God said there's going to be a famine. Seven years of plenty followed by seven years of extreme famine. Now, Joseph's brothers have made one trip to Egypt. They have uh, secured grain. They've gone back, and they have exhausted that. Uh, Now, they were told when they left uh, Egypt that uh, you're not to come back here unless you come back here with your younger brother benjamin you know benjamin there's not going to be no grain in fact he he, he made it very clear uh, uh, joseph that is uh, uh, the man who they call him they don't realize he's joseph uh, what they see is this uh, the second most powerful man in the world is what they're seeing he made it clear to them you're not going to see my face unless you bring your younger brother so they do that. They've now made their second journey down into Egypt. They've brought Benjamin. And to their surprise, Joseph has invited them into his house. And they have eaten from his table. And uh, when we come to uh, the end of chapter 43, there we're seeing they, they, they drank and were merry. Uh, we see this great hospitality that's being afforded to them. And then last week we saw in verse 1, Where Joseph commands the steward first to fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and then put each man's money back in the mouth of his sack. Nothing surprising there. That's what they did last time, right? But verse 2 is something different. Here we have another test for the brothers. Joseph says, Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. So in other words, what do they do? They take... The silver cup that's on Joseph's table, and they put it in Benjamin's sack, unknown to Benjamin. Now, in first light, the brothers, they head off back up to the land of Canaan. And uh, after they have gone a short distance, Joseph says to his steward, listen, I want you to chase after them. And when you find them, I want you to, I want you to tell them this, why have you repaid evil for good? In other words, why are you stealing from my table? Of course, how do they answer? We spent a lot of time last week looking at how they answer. How do they answer? Well, they answer in almost kind of a self righteous way. In one respect, we can understand their answer. They had nothing to do with stealing anything from the table, but the way they answer is kind of like far be it from us to do such a thing. Now, we've been watching these guys for many weeks, and we've seen that they've involved themselves in human trafficking. They stole their brother from their father. How hard would it to believe that they would steal a silver cup from a table? Now, you see, there's been many changes in these men. There's been many changes in these men, but they haven't quite come to full repentance. And Joseph is aware of this. And that's the idea of this silver cup. And I got to tell as I study this, I never made this connection until just this go around of studying this. And, you know, I I catch myself in, in my study saying this over and over again. Joseph is quite a pastor, isn't he? I mean, he really is quite a pastor. He realizes these guys aren't, they're not, yes, there's lots of changes taking place in their lives, but they're not full circle. Put Put the cup in the Benjamin sack. Send them off. Chase after them. Catch them with the silver cup. Bring them back. That's what happens, isn't it? Come on, fellas, open up the sacks. Well, they do. Reuben opens his, no silver cup. Down the line they go. They get to Benjamin. Benjamin opens his sack, and what's in it? Silver cup. Oh man, you don't want to talk about trouble? This is really big trouble. This is trouble, trouble, trouble. Off back to the city they go. Now they're in the presence of Joseph. Judah stands up and he speaks for the brothers. And in verse 16, speaking for the brothers, what does he say? Chapter 44, verse 16. What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Repentance. Is he referring to a silver cup? No, they had nothing to do with a silver cup. They have no clue how the silver cup got in the sack, but they have nothing to do with that. What are they referring to? The things that they had something to do with. And furthermore... Their actions are in keeping with their repentance. They're not willing to leave. If you're going to apprehend Benjamin, then apprehend all of us. None of us will go anywhere. The servant says, no, 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 only the one who has a silver cup. Well, then Judas speaks up and says, listen, you don't understand. If Benjamin does not return to my father, my father will die. He will die. And he says, take me in his place. Let me be enslaved. Let me be thrown into slavery. Only let Benjamin go back and return to my father. You see, and he's speaking on behalf of his brothers. You see, that's what repentance looks like. It's not just lip service, but it's a complete change of heart attitude, a complete change of of direction. And Joseph sees it. He sees true repentance. Repentance. And that brings us to verse 1 of our text this morning. Chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He couldn't control himself. Why couldn't he control himself? Let's just imagine what the last 20 years have been like for Joseph. He's been sold by his brothers, betrayed by his brothers, carried off into slavery down into Egypt. Things weren't too bad with Potiphar, but Potiphar's wife did violence to him and he ended up in jail. Now, through this whole thing, what do you suppose is on his mind? Will I ever be able to see my family again? Chances were real dismal as he was enslaved to Potiphar. But after that, when he gets thrown into jail, what's his chances of ever getting out of jail to see his family again? But I, don't think that's the, I don't think that's the most of it. I think that's a lot of it. But I don't think that's the most of it. I'll tell you what I think the most of it is, is that Joseph realizes the spiritual ruin that his brothers are in. Now, some of us us are really going to get this. I would venture to say that all of us are praying for loved ones who do not know the Lord. I, I know that because you tell me that. I know that. I do that too. All of us have loved ones who do not know the Lord. Now, some of us have had the wonderful experience that out of complete surprise, one of your loved ones come to know the Lord. What a joy. There there was a man, I, I won't use his name because some of you might know who he is because he was a, a well-known ball player years ago. Now, he's about my age, so it was a number of years ago. Um, but he used to come into our store and I got to know him. He was a football player, really big, strong guy. A lot of fun to talk to. Uh, he would come and sometimes rent sound systems off of us. And we had these... Uh, Back then, you know, we had these speaker cabinets. They were like 85 pounds a piece. And this man would literally grab one in each arm, and he just tossed them in the back of his blazer like they weighed 20 pounds a piece. uh, But I got to know him pretty well, and he said to me one day, he says, man, he says, my dad, I want to introduce you to my dad. I'm like, okay. He goes, my mama prayed for my dad for almost 60 years that he would become a believer. I was like, wow. He goes, and he became a believer about two years ago, and he's just, and I've been telling him about you, and I, you know, and he wants to meet you. Would you come? So I got, I got in the car and I rode down and met his dad, and his dad, you know, very elderly. His dad was like, "Yeah, my wife, she prayed for me for a long time." And I remember seeing him. I said, "I bet when you came to faith, I bet there was a lot of tears, wasn't there?" He goes, "Oh man, lots of tears." That's what's going on here. Joseph could not control himself. Why is it so important that Joseph control himself? Remember, he's a noble in Egypt. There's a certain court etiquette. You're supposed to maintain control here. You're not supposed to be all emotional. That's why he orders everybody to leave. Make everyone go for me. No one stayed with him when Joseph, verse one, no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And then verse two, he wept out loud so that the Egyptians heard and the household of Pharaoh heard it. When the Holy Spirit writes, he writes with an incredible economy. He can say so much with just a couple of words. So when the Holy Spirit superintends the writing of scripture and gives you two whole verses just to describe the emotions of Joseph, we do good to pay attention to this. Look at the emotion. He can't control it. You better believe he can't control it. Because what's going on in heaven? All heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. How many do we have coming to repentance right now? Eleven. I'm going to include Benjamin in this. Benjamin, little Benjamin, is a church kid. He's grown up in the church. But has he really repented? I think he has now. Just because you grow up in the church doesn't mean you don't have to repent. Just because you grow up in the church doesn't mean you have to fall down. You don't have to fall down upon God's mercy. Listen, every one of us has to fall down upon God's mercy. That's the only way you're going to come to Jesus. Eleven sinners. Yeah. Lots of tears. Verse 3. Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now try to imagine that. Try to imagine that for a moment. The brothers saying, what did he just say? And like, there's no interpreter now. Joseph is speaking Hebrew. He's been speaking Egyptian all this time through an interpreter. And all of a sudden, they hear this voice in Hebrew. And the tenor of the voice sounds kind of familiar. What did he just say? Did he just say he's Joseph? How in the world does he know about Joseph? Do you, do you, just to bring to your attention, the brothers have never used Joseph's name. in these courts... And there's, that, 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 that's not an accident. You remember when Potiphar's wife was framing him? One of the ways that she pitted everybody against him was by not referring to him as Joseph, by referring to him as a young Hebrew. That's what evil and wickedness does. It depersonalizes the person, which makes it easier to sin against them. That's what happens. All of a sudden, he says, I am Joseph. Joseph. How do you know about Joseph? Now what do you suppose is going through their minds first? Here is Joseph. Now mind you, he is the second most powerful man in the world. So he, 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 he is majestic before them. And he says, I am, I am Joseph. So there they are before his majesty. Well, what do you think the next thing is coming to their minds is? You're Joseph, and we have really done you wrong. You see, what we have here in micro, we have a a microscopic illustration, if you will, of what happens when sinners come in to the presence of the Lord. Think of Isaiah, famously in Isaiah 6. He sees in his vision the Lord, seated in his temple upon his throne, we're told the train of his robe filled the entire temple. And what does Isaiah do? He falls down and cries out, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Why? Because the, because seeing, and, and, and John makes it clear, who is he seeing? He's seeing the Son of God. And in seeing the Son of God, what happens? He sees his august majesty. That's the idea of the train filling the whole temple. His august majesty. But then, in the presence of his august majesty, here is this, this highly majestic, most majestic Lord, and what floods to the surface is all of the violence and all of the crimes that have been committed against this Lord. And it causes Isaiah to say, woe is me, for I am undone. Now, some will say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. That's just an Old Testament thing. No, it it happens in the Old Testament, but that's not an Old Testament thing. Just turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, where John, exiled on the island of Patmos, in a vision, sees Christ. Now, mind you, John walked with Jesus for three years during his earthly ministry, and he was described as the one Jesus loved. Now, Jesus loved all his disciples. But he was described as the one he was loved, and John is the one who has been taking care of Mary. Jesus, Jesus charged him with the, 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 the responsibility of caring for Mary. John sees Jesus, and what does he do? He falls down as though dead. How does Joseph respond? He asks, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. One scholar, I think I wrote his quote down. One scholar says this. He says, what is indicated here by the brothers is the panic that seizes a person when surprised by obvious doom. Did you get that? Here indicates the panic that seizes a person when surprised by obvious doom. That's where these brothers are at. So Joseph said to his brothers, and pay close attention to this, verse 4, he says, come near to me, please. What is Joseph doing? Is Joseph trying to crush them? If we we think that's what's going on, we're misreading this. Joseph is not trying to crush them. Joseph is trying to call them near to himself. He says, come to me, please. No, he says, come near to me, please. And they came near to him, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Again, he's not trying to crush them. He's trying to say, listen, I really am your brother Joseph. You you sold me into Egypt, remember? He says in verse 5, Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Let's stop right there. And let's back up again to verse 4. One more thing about verse 4. Let me notice a parallel here. When Joseph says to his brothers, come near to me, what does that remind you of? Does that not remind you of Jesus saying to sinners who are so loaded with their guilt and so burdened with their guilt, saying, come to me, all you who are what? Burdened and heavy laden. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy. My burden is light. Right? He's calling them to come to him. In verse 5, he says, now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Now, what is Joseph saying there? Is he saying, hey, listen, fellas, what you did really wasn't that bad? Is that what he's saying? No. No, what they did actually was really bad. Sometimes you'll hear people say that. They'll say, man, I tried to tell such and such. It really wasn't that bad. I'm like, okay, um, did they believe you? No. Okay, well, good, because what they did was really bad. And you're not going to help them lying to them. But besides that, they know it was really bad, and they know you're lying to them, and they know that the rest of the stuff you say probably isn't any more more reliable than what you've just said now. It's a silly thing. Don't say that. And that's not what Joseph is saying here. He's saying, "Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life." What is Joseph up to? He's a great pastor i got to tell you, he's a great pastor. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to take their focus from their sin past and move their focus to God's grace. That's what he's up to. That's why I said a couple of weeks ago, and I said even earlier than that, maybe a month ago, it's the easiest thing to stand here and plaster your hearts against that back wall back there. It's the easiest thing there is to do. But that's not going to lead you to repentance. That's not going to lead you to faith either. It's not going to lead you to Jesus. That's just going to leave you back there in the back wall. No, we have to be convicted of our sins for sure. That's a necessary step. But we also, as we have seen, we have to apprehend the mercy of God in Christ, right? That was a lesson that we had a few weeks ago. But not only that, not only that, we have to see uh, We have to see God's mercy and His grace, don't we? You see, that's, that has to become our focus, not our past sin. These brothers have repented. Once we repent of our sin, what does God do with it? He casts it away. And what are we to focus on after that? Well, you're a new creation. You're to focus on Christ and on the grace. Listen, fellas, God sent me here. What? God sent me here. Wait a second. Um, We sold you to these Ishmaelites who carried you down there and Potiphar bought you. Yeah, but God sent me here. God sent you here. Yeah. He sent me here to save your lives. You mean... While we were doing the most criminal thing we ever did, God was using it to save our lives. Yeah. That's amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved wretches like Joseph's brothers. Wretches like you and me. That's the doctrine of God's providence. Does that sound cold and lifeless to you? Have you ever applied it to your life? Because you should, every moment of every day. All of the bad things that happen to us, whatever they are, God's in it. We can't answer why He's in it. Don't try to offer explanations to one another. That's a cruel thing to do because we don't know those answers any more than Joseph did when this whole thing started. But what we do know from this text is that God is providentially working in each of our lives. What do I mean by that? He's working in such a way that he's actually governing actions, governing behavior. And what that means is that none of the suffering that we go through is in vain. You see, there's a tremendous amount of healing and strengthening that takes place here. Do you realize Joseph doesn't just mention this in verse in verse five? Joseph says in verse five, "God sent me before you to preserve life." In verse seven, what does he say? "God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant." What does he say in verse eight? So it was not for you; it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's three times in Hebrew literature. That is the superlative. If we go back to Isaiah 6, the angels, they don't just say, holy is the Lord Almighty. They don't just say, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. That is the superlative. What is a superlative? Think of the word super. It's taking the language and it's pressing it as far as it can be pressed is what it's doing. God sent me here. God sent me here. God sent me here. Before you what's being emphasized here is how God works in the midst of human in the midst of our suffering and and it's given Joseph you see Joseph has been able to digest this Joseph's been able to understand this Joseph says okay this is my assignment it's my assignment to be a slave in Potiphar's house I'm not just a uh, a victim of random violence. I've been given an assignment which requires that I be a slave in Potiphar's house. And my assignment requires that I go into this pit for X amount of years. It's not until he is ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh that he really begins to understand, I think, what his assignment is. But now once he finds out what his assignment is, he has been so wonderfully prepared for that assignment, hasn't he? The 17-year-old Joseph that we encounter way back in what, chapter 37, I think, was not ready to be at the right hand of, of Pharaoh. He was running around popping off about the dreams, Remember? got himself in all kind of trouble. Now, God was using that too. You see, that's what escalated and heated things up, which led to them throwing him off to the Ishmaelites, right? He had to go into the furnace of affliction for all these years. Back to our text. Verse 9, hurry, hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. In other words, we can, we can hear an echo of Jesus, you know, the, the, the resurrected Jesus, saying, listen, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go, uh, go, go and tell everybody, publish the news. But then in verse 10, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near, be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I'll provide for you. There are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. What is, what is that all about? What is Joseph saying? He's saying, I've, I've come to prepare a place for you. I've come to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. For not so, I'd have told you. But see, I, I go. I go so that I might prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. That's some of the best. That's some of the best word in the Bible, isn't it? Look at verse twelve. Our scripture memory verse. Now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see. Their eyes have been open, haven't they? That it is my mouth that speaks to you. In verses 13, 14, and 15, here is reconciliation. We have God's providence. We have reconciliation. You see, God's providence has enabled Joseph to forgive these brothers. He has been empowered to forgive these brothers. Had it not been for his understanding of providence, he wouldn't have understood any more than he was a victim of random violence. He would have become bitter. Uh, You know the rest. You know how all that works, how so many people become bitter when bad things happen to them. Joseph never does that. Why? He understands God's providence. He understands his providence. But God's providence has empowered him. It has healed him. It has enabled him to heal. And it has enabled him to have the strength to forgive his brothers. He's truly forgiven his brothers here. He has forgiven them. And now reconciliation is able to take place because they've repented. And it's something else on the side, let me just say. Joseph doesn't reveal himself to them until they repent. You notice that, don't you? They've repented. And here we have reconciliation. Verse 13, you must tell my father all my honor in Egypt and all that have, you have seen. Hurry, bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin, Benjamin weeps, and he kissed all of his brothers, and they weep, and his brothers talk with him. What do we have now? Reconciliation. Joseph, for all he knew, this day would never come, and here it has come, and there he is reconciled with his family, and soon he's going to see his father. In verse 16, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. That is an amazing verse, by the way. There's a lot of reasons why Pharaoh may not be so excited about this. If Joseph had told Pharaoh about it, maybe Pharaoh would like to you know, put the pinch on these guys for doing such an evil thing to Joseph. He loves Joseph. He might have some animosity towards him. And secondly, Joseph may, or Pharaoh may even have some selfish reasons of not wanting Joseph to be, um, uh, you know, kind of off his focus. I don't want you to lose focus of your assignment here with your brothers and everything. But that's not how Pharaoh reacts. The heart of the king really is in the Lord's hand, isn't it? You see how God is sovereign, see how God is sovereignly working in the heart of Pharaoh? Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, and Pharaoh's not just pleased, but the servants are pleased. And Pharaoh says, this, this is the guy. I mean, he, he says to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts, go back to the land of Canaan, take your father and your households, come to me, and I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all, the land of Egypt is yours. That's breathtaking. The sons of Israel did so. Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, gave them provisions for the journey to each and all of them. He gave a change of clothes to Benjamin. He gave 300 shekels of silver, five changes of clothes to his father. He sent as follows 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, provisions for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. What do we have going on here? When we come to faith in Christ Jesus, our father lavishes gifts upon us, doesn't he? You see the amazing illustrations here. Pharaoh is lavishing gifts upon this household, isn't he? Amazing gifts. So they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they tell him, Joseph is still alive. And is, How does Jacob react to this? How does the father react? Well, he became numb. We can understand that because it's not like these guys aren't in the habit of lying to him, is it? But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and besides that, think about it. Here's Benjamin showing up with all these clothes and 300 shekels of silver. Benjamin, you should be broke. You should have spent all your money getting grain. How is it that you got all this money? And everybody has their money. And they've got these chains of clothes, and they've got all these gifts, and and they've showed up with twice as many donkeys, I presume. I presume they went down with 10 donkeys. They come back with 20. That's a presumption. I don't know how many donkeys they took down. But they come back with donkeys. They come back with all this stuff. And besides that, there's the wagons. Now, to us, a wagon might not seem like a big deal, but if we were Joseph's family, the family didn't have a wagon. Okay, that was a technological advancement that was only in places like Egypt. And the only ones who had things like that were people like Pharaoh. All right, where did you get the wagons, fellas? Joseph. Joseph has provided. And Israel said, well, this is enough. We're told that his spirit revived. He said, my son is still alive. I'll go and see him before I die. What an amazing story of God's providence, and God's reconciliation. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this snapshot that you give us, Father, of the way you worked in this ancient family, which gives us a, um, an illustration, a working illustration of how you've worked in each of our lives, as you've worked as the perfect pastor in our lives, leading us, bringing us to repentance, bringing us to trust you and to put our faith in you. You have showered these gifts upon us. You've enabled us to see that all the things that take place in our lives, including things that are currently taking place in our lives, are not apart from your hand. That you've providentially ordered them and you've ordered them all, Father, for your purposes. And we see that your purposes are good. And we see here, O oh Father, that true reconciliation is so great. It is so wonderful that all it can do is move us to tears of joy, to where we, too, we have to say, listen, let me be alone and let me weep. Let me weep for the salvation that I have in Christ Jesus. Let me weep for the salvation that my loved ones have in Christ Jesus. And look at the gifts that you shower upon us, O oh Father the gifts that we have in Christ Jesus. We are told in Ephesians that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, Father, thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.